Well, good afternoon, all my fantastic fanatics. This is your man, Dr. Usher, coming at you live with another word of encouragement. And we're going to continue our topic on marriage. And so on today's topic, remember, we're discussing the three major things that can destroy your marriage. And the first one that we talked about in the previous episode was what? Money. In this episode, we're going to talk about communication. Because communication is one of the most vital aspects of a marriage. And Without money, things will get hard, but without communication, things are just not going to work out, period. And we have to learn how to communicate with one another. And part of communication means that we have to learn not only how to speak, but also how to listen. One of the biggest problems that I see in marriages is that two couples with strong-willed personalities will always try to dominate the conversation. And this, this, is, this is a funny thing, because think about it. If you got two dominant personalities, like I'm a dominant personality, my wife's a dominant personality, and there are times where we are so strongly believing in our own point of view that we want to get our point of view across and we don't want to listen to the other person. And that's normal in a sense when you don't have proper understanding of who you are as a person but that can also hurt your marriage so you have to learn what type of person you are are you a strong willed type or are you a passive type because if you're a passive type what tends to happen is you'll hold back your opinion or keep your mouth shut and you'll just go along with whatever the dominant personality says, even though inside you disagree with it. So let me deal with the dominant to dominant personality first. When you have a dominant to dominant personality, there are a couple of tricks that you can do that can help you become a better listener. One of the things that I tend to do is knowing that I'm a dominant personality type and my wife's a dominant personality type. One of the things I tend to do is while she's talking, I will drink water drink tea, or eat something. Because it's hard for you to respond if you got something in your mouth. And actually, I learned that from an older guy. An older guy taught me that many, many years ago. He says, hey, when your wife is talking, eat something. That way you can't talk. And in the same tone, you know, if I need to talk to my wife about something, normally what I'll tend to do is I'll wait till she starts eating and then I'll share what I got to say because at least I know she won't interrupt what I'm saying. And, you know, you might be like, man, that's just, that's a good idea, but it's kind of weird, but it's, but it's a good idea, people. You got to admit, it's a good idea. And um, it'll help you listen because the big problem that I'm seeing, especially with dominant to dominant personalities, is that when you feel so strongly about something, you'll over-talk the other person and nobody's really listening. And 99.9% of the time, you guys are saying the same thing, but in a different way. You know, you want the same end result, 
but the way you're communicating about it makes it seem like it's a different result. And so you got to recognize that number one, your, your mate is not your enemy because in dominant to dominant personality types, sometimes we can view our mate as the ultimate enemy. Oh my gosh, he's trying or he's trying to, and you just got to understand everybody that that person that's sitting next to you is not your enemy. But that's when I hope that both of you guys are listening to this message now, this podcast now. And, and I hope that as you're listening to it, you're understanding what type of personality you are. Because if you are a dominant, dominant personality, like wife, your dominant personality or leadership role, you know, you're used to being in charge. And some of the dominant roles would be like if your profession, if you're a teacher, an administrator, business owner, you know, if you're in any position as a female where you have authority, then you probably have a dominant personality type. And if your husband is a dominant personality type, you know, he'd be a business owner, preacher, missionary, uh, executive banker, somewhere where he's in charge, you got dominant to dominant personality. And if you're not careful, you guys will always butt heads. And you'll always miss each other because one of you has got to learn to listen. And I'm not going to lie, ladies, in all my counseling sessions with married couples, women who are dominant tend to not be good listeners. You hear what people are saying, but you're not listening to what people are saying. And you're like, Raph, that doesn't make sense. Dr. Raffi, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does make sense because when you hear someone, that means you're only hearing the words. But when you're listening, that means you're understanding what's being said and you're trying to process what's being said and you're not taking offense to what's being said because you know that the person's talking to you is not trying to be offensive and you better not be trying to be offensive, dude. <laughs> if you're the husband, you know, don't be offensive. But if you're if you're truly trying to communicate with your spouse, and you as a, as a female spouse are sitting there and you're listening, you know, that's the big key to your success is to listen and not feel attacked. Because as a woman, you know, sometimes you guys feel like you're being attacked, you know, and you want to stand your ground. I'm not going to let this man dominate me. I'm not going to let this man have rule over me. I'm the woman and I am strong and I'm like, well, you are a woman and you are strong, but you're in a marriage. And if you're a Christian, and I can only talk about a Christian marriage. If you're not in a Christian marriage, you might as well turn this podcast off because I'm not going to help you. Because what I'm about to say now is about to make you mad. But if you're in a Christian marriage, you know, the husband is the head and the wife is to be led by her husband. But I also want you guys to understand this analogy. And you might have heard this before, but it's so true. Man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And the man cannot go look left or right or do anything if he's got a stiff neck. So you got to learn how to work as a team to get your body, your family going in the right direction. Now, let's deal with the second type of relationship where you got a dominant and a passive. You know, the dominant guy, if you know you're in a dominant relationship and you got a passive spouse, one of the most hardest things for you to do once you become what I would call empathetic or emotionally intelligent, 
about who you are and about who your spouse is, one of the most hardest things for you to do is to encourage them to speak up because they'll just go with the flow. And why is that? So if you are the passive spouse, I want to ask you a question. Why is it that you just go with the flow? Is it that you trust your husband or you trust your spouse? You could be a woman. You could be a man. See, let me let me rephrase that. If you are in a passive personality and with a dominant relationship, you can be a man with a passive personality. You can be a woman with a passive personality. There are plenty of relationships where I've seen where the woman is the dominant and the man is the passive. So I don't want you guys to think that, you know, well, only a woman can be in a passive role. No, dude, trust me. I've seen relationships where the woman is the head of the house and her husband goes along with whatever she says. He And you got to ask yourself, if you're the passive, why don't you speak up? Why aren't you saying anything? Do you understand that you have a voice? Is there a fear inside you? You need to ask yourself right now while you listen to this podcast, why is it? that you're not speaking up? Why are you not talking? Why are you not sharing your opinion? Is it that your husband or your wife or the dominant personality in your relationship said something to you that just shut you off and you've learned just to keep your mouth shut and just go with the flow? Because if that's the case, you need to say something right now, like grab your partner by the hand right now and say, yeah, honey, that's you. Every time I try to say something, you overpower me and I just shut up and just go with the flow because I don't want to get into a fight. And dude, if your spouse grabbed you by the hand or lady, if your spouse grabbed you by the hand and that person said it's you, don't you dare get offended. Don't you ever get, don't I, get, don't you even look at it with cockeyed look. No, I see you. You about to say, honey, I hear and I understand or you say, you say, your husband, baby, I hear and I understand that I, I can be domineering and I'm going to make a better effort to communicate with you. And that will help you. That will definitely help you. Because one of the things that I don't have time to talk about today, but I'll put it on my website at drusher.com. What I want you to do is I want you to start looking into emotional intelligence. I want you as a dominant personality to see how emotionally intelligent you are. Emotional intelligence is basically you understanding how you are as a person and your ability to empathize with other people, especially your spouse. Because what I've learned about emotional intelligence is that there are a lot of people in leadership who are emotionally ignorant. They have no clue how the other person feels and they don't really care because all they want is their way. And so you cannot be an emotionally intelligent person if you're only focused on you. You got to get to the point to where, hey, I got to focus on the other people because you'll never be an effective leader if all you think about is you. Yeah, you might get to the top because I know a lot of dogs at the top right now and they're mean and they're ruthless. But there's a new generation and I like this Gen Z and these millennial generations. I like the way they lead. Because when I was growing up in the in the business world, you get cussed out, you get yelled at, and there was nothing you can do but take it. But you cuss out one of these generations, they will walk out on you. And so it would behoove you to learn as a leader, as a dominant personality, how to improve your emotional intelligence. 
you know, and, and get smarter about how you communicate. Now, let me jump to another topic when it comes to communication. Um, some of you guys might be in international relationships where you're married to a spouse that doesn't speak your language or you don't speak, you know, their language. And communication is taken to a whole nother level. I remember when I was married to my spouse for the first few years, man, communication back in them days, <laughs> we had these little bitty pocket translators that could only translate simple phrases and simple words. And I would have to use that to communicate with my spouse because she spoke Spanish and I spoke English and it was just hard to communicate. And there was a lot of miscommunication going on. Lord Jesus, I don't know how we made it through that phase, but Lord Jesus, we made it. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me through that. I was young. She was young. And we were in love. And you know how it is, fellas, if you've been in love. You know, nobody can do no wrong and, and love conquers all. But communication sucked. <laughs> and a lot of miscommunication happened. And if you're married to a person that speaks your language, you have to show grace. You can't get frustrated. And I, I, I'm going to be honest. I normally notice that the woman is the one who gets frustrated the most emotionally. And that acts out emotionally. Because a woman's desire is to communicate. Even if she's a passive personality. Her desire is to communicate and be understood. And I've seen relationships where the woman doesn't speak the, the spouse's, the husband's native language. And she's a hell again to live with because she's frustrated all the time because she can't communicate to her husband. And I'm going to ask you, fellas, if you're in that situation, I'm going to give you two things you can do. Number one, remain calm. Number two, find a translator. You know, me personally, I learned to speak Spanish and I'm real good at it. Si tu, si tu no me crees que yo puedo hablar español, estoy hablando español ahorita. Porque yo puedo hablar español. And I had to learn Spanish for my wife so I could understand what she's saying because <laughs> there are things that she says in Spanish that if you translate to English, man, you would get slapped. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like, you can't say that in English. But in Spanish, it's totally cool. And I remember the other night, we got into this deep discussion about a saying that they have in Spanish. Te voy a matar. That means I'm going to kill you. I'm like, baby, you cannot say that in English. Why not? And, you know, because in English, it means you're going to kill somebody. That's against the law. <laughs> That's a threat. But it doesn't mean that. I'm like, yeah, I know it doesn't mean that. So communication, people, the point is communication is vital and it's key. And if you don't speak the language, you got to get to a point to where you either get a translator there or you learn the language or you do something to help them learn the language so they can communicate. And part of this communication, going to go deeper into this, is... Um, understanding the culture that you married into. Now, needless to say, some of you listening to this podcast might be in interracial marriages or international marriages. And 
If you're dumb like I was, you go to Mexico and you think all Mexicans are the same until you live there for a couple of years and you realize all Mexicans are not the same. (laughs) You got Oaxacans, you got the Chiapans, you got the Mayans, you got the Zapotecas, you got the Mestizos, the Nortenos, and you realize that each one of those different indigenous cultures have their own mores and ways of communicating and certain things mean certain things to their culture that doesn't mean the same thing to another culture. And let's say you are an American married to another white person. You have no clue if that white person's genealogy comes from a group of people that has certain personality traits that interpret what you do, your form of communication differently. Case in point. Um, I, I can only talk about what I know, and I know a lot about indigenous cultures. And I'm married to a woman who's born in the Mayan zone, but who's genetically a Oaxacan Indian. And if you don't know anything about Oaxacan Indians and Mayans, they are two polar opposite groups of people. <laughs> no joke. The Mayans, women, they're passive, they're quiet, they're hardworking, they're diligent and they follow the man's lead, and they don't complain. On the other hand, you have the Oaxacan women. It's a matriarchal society. The woman controls everything. The woman demands and points and controls. Da, 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 da. And so if you don't understand the culture of the person that you're married to, your communication could cause problems because you're communicating one thing, thinking that they understand it their way, but they're interpreting it through their culture. And so you got to understand their culture because there's certain things that you can say in their culture that they might construe as offensive. And this is true with any marriage, though, because even if you're a white person listening to this marriage or a black person listening to a marriage, we always think that, oh, we're just Americans. Well, you're Americans that came from an indigenous culture. You might be a black person married to another black person. What if that black person has a strong genealogical tie to um, Nigeria and she's Ibu, you know, or maybe she's from Ghana from one of the groups there. You know, you got to understand where her culture, personality trait is coming from because how you talk to her is going to be translated through how her culture is. And you're like, Ralph, my wife ain't never been to Africa. Well, neither have you. But one thing I'm telling you guys is that there's something innate about us, that there's certain traits that are innate in us that trace that come back to our original indigenous culture. I can't explain it, but I'll give you this example. When I went to Quibdo, Colombia, that was an Afro-Spanish society. Now, I've been to other I've been to other Afro nations like Haiti. And there are just traits that you see present in every one of those cultures. And I started noticing and I would ask myself, man, where did that come from? And as I got to make more friends from Africa and learning about the different groups and different um, indigenous populations in Africa, I realized that each one had their own traits. You know, some were more in, good with numbers. Some were more passive. Some were more strong. Some were it, all of them had their own different different ways of, of communicating and, 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 and being. And I was just floored by that, people. And, and I was in awe of it. 
And I, and I say all that so you can understand that I need you to take the time, especially if you know you're married to an indigenous person or married to an international, if you're in an international relationship, it would behoove you to pay attention to what indigenous group they are from. For example, you might be married to an Asian. Well, all Asians are the same. No, they're not. You got the Chin, you got the Korean, you have the Burmese, you have the Thai, and even within those groups, you'll have smaller breakouts of different cultures. And each one of those cultures communicate and interpret communication in a different way. And if you want things to work out in your marriage, you have to learn that. I know of a guy that was in a relationship with a, a young lady from a small island nation, and he's an American, and he had no clue that the way he was communicating with his spouse made her feel insecure and safe. He thought he was doing the right thing because in America, you know, when we're communicating with our spouse, especially when it comes to money, back to topic one, when we're talking about money, he said, hey, in America, we share everything. Here's your bank account. You know, spend however you want. She didn't like that. Now, you might be thinking, Raph, that's kind of crazy because why wouldn't a woman want access to the bank account and do everything? Because in her culture, it was it's, it's kind of weird. They expect you to give them an allowance. That way they know how much money they're supposed to spend. And if you don't give them allowance, they feel like you're neglecting them. Who would have thought, right? And it's like that in most cultures outside of America. And you would think that in our culture, hey, you have access to the bank account, just spend freely as you will. But no, to them, it means that you are neglecting them. Now to us, giving a woman an allowance, I know I know a lot of people right now like, man, that sounds kind of controlling. It does, doesn't it? It does sound controlling. But that's through the eyes of an American culture. Maybe their culture is different. And so you have to be patient as they interpret your communication differently. And that's why I want you guys to focus on this week. I want you to focus on your communication. So as I close out today's message, you know, communication is vital. And one of the things I would encourage you to do is that if you're having trouble communicating with your spouse, um, there is nothing wrong with writing messages on paper, texts, or emails. Because sometimes you can't say the right words, but you can text the right words. And I would encourage you, especially if you're in an international relationship, try to write the words in their language. That way they can try to understand what you're trying to say. And if you have a deep issue excuse me, that you feel like that's not being heard, um, I would encourage you to write it down. Send an email. I used to send emails to my spouse all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. And ladies, if your husband sends you an email explaining that, hey, I'm having difficulties or I'm struggling with something that you said or this is something I would like to do, you know, I would dare say, don't belittle that spouse, you know, because it could be the man or the woman. It could be any one of you guys having difficulties communicating. Do a letter. And whoever receives the letter, whether you're the wife writing it to the husband or the husband writing it to the wife, whatever the situation is, when you receive the letter, 
Don't take offense. She's only trying to communicate. He's only trying to communicate. And don't you be emotionally ignorant of the fact that, hey, she's writing you this letter because you're not listening. Or he's writing you that letter, lady, because you're not listening. And with that being said, (laughs) I hope that today's topic will help you out. Use some of those tricks that I taught you, you know, and hopefully this message will help you become a better communicator. Now, if you want me to go deeper into this topic, I can. And I will. all I ask you to do is send me a message through Facebook or through DrUsher.com. And you can find me on Instagram at DrUsher. Spell it out, D-O-C-T-O-R-U-S-H-E-R. Spell it out, DrUsher. And you can find me pretty much on any social media platform. Or you can just write me directly at raf at drusher.com. Or you can just call 1-877-JOIN-OMI. And you can reach me there. And just go to extension zero and I'll pick up. And you can just tell me, hey, Raph, I want you to go into more detail on the next podcast about communication. Because there are some communication uh, tips that I can give you that are more um, scientific because I am a doctor and I do have a degree in psychology. So (laughs) communication is what I do. So anyway, with that being said, I love y'all. Thank y'all for listening and tune in next time because we're going to go over the third issue in the third podcast. And that's going to be talking about, yep, intimacy. Intimacy, people. Yep. Uh, I'm going to love that topic. Yeah, I bet you will too. Bye. Well, hello all my fantastic fanatics. This is your man, Dr. Usher, coming at you live with another word of encouragement. Today's topic is going to be how to put your grief in check. Now, I want you to ponder what I just said. I want you to ponder the title of today's message, how to put your grief in check. Now, we've all gone through traumatic experiences, and I don't want to downplay the seriousness of your traumatic experience. As a matter of fact, I want you guys to know a few facts about grieving. Grieving is a process. You just have to go through the process. There is no time specifically for grief to end. It's over when it's over. Now, scientifically speaking, as a psychologist, I have to go by the science. Grief can last anywhere from a few months to two years until you really start seeing or coming out of your grief. But I want to talk to you about how to put your grief in check because I've noticed that A lot of the new generation, I would say, uh, uh, I would say Gen Xers, Millennials, Gen Zers, um, you guys are having a hard time with grief. Now, you might be a millennial or boomer listening to this program and you might be struggling with grief, but I don't think it's on the same level as the younger generations. And why is that? Why is it that the younger generations are having a harder time dealing with with grief. And I think it has to do with the fact that that generation has been coddled 
they've they've grow they grew up in protected homes or protected environments where society has shielded them from the realities of life. Because I want you guys to think about this. Think about, especially if you're black. Now I know there are white people listening, but you can you can relate to this too, because what I'm about to say is going to be universal because it can apply to any race. But specifically if you're black, you had a generation or a couple of generations before you that endured some of the hardest hardships that life can throw at them. They endured slavery. They endured their families being ripped apart. They endured being raped. They endured their children being taken away. They witnessed their spouses being chopped up, beat up, and burnt up. They witnessed their children being mauled by mobs of crazy people who just want to do them harm. But yet, that generation persevered. And how is it that they dealt with their grief and how is it that this generation who hasn't experienced that level of grief, how is it that they're stuck in their grief and the previous generation was not? How was it that the previous generation used their grief as a tool, as power to push them through and this generation has not? Well, I'm going to answer that question. The previous generation understood life. See, a lot of you guys are so focused on your loss and your grief that you're forgetting to live. I'm going to tell you about my grandmother. My grandmother was an amazing grandmother. She mothered, I believe, seven kids, maybe eight. I, I can't remember. There was, I had a lot of uncles and aunties when I was growing up. It was an amazing family. But one thing I remember about my grandmother is that she enjoyed being around people. She enjoyed being around her family. I never once saw my grandmother grieving or mourning over the fact that her mother was gone, her father was gone, her grandparents were gone, or even her firstborn son was gone. My grandmother lived in the moment. How many of you guys can... Remember or know a family member who, when they come around, they just bring light to the whole room. We've all had that one relative that, man, when auntie so-and-so comes around or uncle so-and-so or when grandpa comes around, or maybe it's your own mama, when they come around, they just bring life to the whole room. And my question for you today is why aren't you being that life in your own family? Yes, I know you lost your loved one. It might have been a horrible traffic accident. It might have been an intentional murder. It could have been anything, people. But I'm asking you, why can't you live and, and be that light for your children or your grandchildren? Why do you have to be the one to focus on the traumatic event and you forget to be the light that you had the joy to enjoy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You have the joy to, to be under the loving light of a grandmother or a grandfather or an uncle or an auntie or a cousin or somebody who experienced loss 
but yet they made you feel like you was their number one priority. Why can't you do that to your other family, family members? Why can't you be that? And you're like, Raph, because it's so hard for me. It's so hard for me. Okay, I understand it's hard for you. So I'm going to give you a key that I believe the previous generation used. And you know, the previous generation, they had secrets. There were just things that they just didn't tell you. They just, they endured stuff in silence. They didn't talk like we do. Like my generation, we talk a lot. <laughs> and then the generation behind me, uh, the, the younger generation, they y'all talk even more than I do. But here's the secret to how they overcame grief. You ready? They treated grief like it was a person. Think about that. The previous generation treated grief like it was a person. He's like, Raph? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. Think about it. When someone keeps coming to you, reminding you of all the hurt and pain and bad things you've done and all that stuff, what do you tend to do? You tend to talk to that person and say, hey, don't come to me with all that drama. Don't bring that around me. Well, grief is kind of like that, that, that person. That if you don't put grief in check, grief will overwhelm you. And you got to learn to talk to grief. And remind grief that, especially if you're a Christian, you got to remind grief that, hey, I'm a believer in Christ. My loved one that passed on is in glory right now. There is no pain, no suffering. They're at total peace, not only with themselves, but with God. And they're in the presence and basking in the glory of God right now. So grief, I need you to put yourself in check. That yes, I miss them. Yes, I love them. But yes, I will see them again. And this is not the end. This is only the beginning. It's not a goodbye. It's a see you later. Guys, you got to believe in the fact that this crazy universe that we live in was put there for us to look at to remind us that there's something more coming. Come on, people, wake up. There is more coming every day when I drive home at night and I see the stars. Sometimes I doubt the existence of God. Yes, I'm a preacher and I doubt the existence of God sometimes. Sometimes I struggle because I see so many bad things going on. And I'll just say, God, please let there be more to this life than just this. Please let there be more. And then I'll look up at the sky. And then I'll see the Milky Way. And it'll remind me that, yes, there is more. This life is just the gateway to eternity. Everybody that wants to get to eternity must go through life. And you got to remind yourself when grief starts kicking in and trying to overwhelm you. Because if you allow it, grief will overwhelm you. Grief will overtake you. Grief will put a heavy load on your back and drop you to your knees and push you down into the grave. And you got to learn to recognize that, hey, grief, I see what you're doing and you got to put grief in check. Now, I'm not saying not to grieve. I'm just saying put it in check. Balance it with truth. Don't let it overwhelm you into this mindset to where it's not reality. The reality for every believer is that, yes, you shall grieve. Even Jesus grieved. When Lazarus died, Jesus hurt. 
But then he told Lazarus, hey, get up out of that grave. The rabbi, I can't tell my, 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 my loved one to get out of that grave. I can't do that. No, but you can tell grief that your husband, your spouse, your grandma, your grandpa, your baby, or whoever you lost is not in that grave. They're not there. I remember, you know, my daddy had died a horrible death. I was there when my daddy died. And um, I saw the struggle in his final hours of living. It was horrific. I never seen anything like it. And, you know, before he got to that final stage, I remember he was at the hospital. He was talking and um, he was scared. I mean, I've never saw my daddy scared in my life. But that day, when the doctors gave him that report on how many days he had left to live, and there was no chance of him surviving, he asked me to leave the room. He grabbed my mama by the hand. I heard my daddy cry like a baby. Big, burly black man. I heard him cry. And I said, Daddy, you don't have to be ashamed. But I said, this is only the beginning. I had to remind my dad on his deathbed, this is only the beginning. I said, you gave your life to Christ. You're going to pass through this and you're going to go straight into heaven. So don't be afraid. I know it's scary for you, but don't be afraid. He looked at me. He straightened up his face a little bit. He says, yeah, you're right. Amen. And then the next day, you know, I went to see him again, his last hours of life. And that that image is burned in my head until the day I die. And it, it was traumatic. And I say that not to relive the moment. I say that so you can see that I've been through or can or have some type of understanding of what you've gone through with your grief. I don't want you to think that I'm downplaying the importance of grief, nor do I want you to think that I think that your grief is insignificant because grief is significant. But you got to keep grief in check. You cannot let grief overwhelm you. There are times where I'll be sleeping at night and I'll flash back to that moment where my daddy passed on. And I remember the look that was on his face when he was struggling to breathe and things were going on. And I, I would just say, just, just relax. You know, it's almost over. And I would do my best to console him. And um, guys, when that comes to my head, grief wants to set in. And it wants to keep replaying that moment. And it wants to make me miss him and miss him. Oh, you wish your daddy was here. Oh, Rafi, if your daddy would have been here, he would have done this. If your daddy, 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 daddy he would have rescued, he would have done this, he would have done that. And guys, I have to put grief in check. I remind grief that it's once appointed for man to die. But after that, the judgment, meaning that we go before God. And if we have Christ, the judgment room of God says, he's a believer, let him through. 
We are all going to die, people. No one on this earth is going to survive death. Now, you got two things you can do. You can spend the rest of your life grieving over the fact that you lost someone significant that you love so much. Or you can spend the rest of your life living, being that light, being that joy for the next person. So they'll remember you the way you remembered that loved one. Come on, somebody. You hear what I'm saying? You want people to remember you with the same joy and the same glee that you remembered your loved one. But nobody's going to be able to remember you if you keep walking around allowing grief to kick you between the legs. Yes, grief is real. Yes, you will have to go through a season of grief that could last, like I said, a few months to a few years. But as you're going through it, you got to keep reminding yourself, I got to keep grief in check. I got to remind grief of the truth of the word of God. Because if you don't remind grief of the truth of the word of God, don't expect grief to do it for you. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you the truth. Grief is not going to remind you of the word of God. Grief is going to remind you of the reality of the fact that you lost that loved one and nothing more. Oh, it's so hard without this person. Oh, if my loved one was here, life would be so much better. No. You just take over what they would have done. And you become the light that they cannot be right now. And that's how you overcome grief. So if you got children, I'll tell you what I did. Uh, about a year after my daddy passed, I had a son. And I made sure that I was the best father I could be. And I would tell anecdote jokes about my dad and how some of the crazy things my dad would do. And sometimes when I miss him the most, you know, I'll say something that he would have said that my children would hear and they'll be like, what? I'm like, yeah, your granddaddy used to say that. And it makes me feel like he's not totally not there. His words live on through me giving my kids the same joy that my daddy's goofy words gave me. So some of the things that my daddy would do now gives my kids joy because I now do some of the good things. Now my daddy did some bad stuff, but the good things that my daddy did, I try to pass on to my kids so they can enjoy what it could have been like if he would have been there. So they don't know him, but they know me. Those people around you don't know that loved one, but they know you. So you be that light. You be that joy. You carry on the legacy. You know, I'm grateful that I had a grandmother that didn't wallow in her past hurts, in her past griefs. I am thankful for the years that she spent loving me. All of us, if you're part of my family, y'all know our grandmother was the greatest woman on earth. And I'm going to be what she was to me, to my children, to my cousins, to my nieces, to my nephews. I'm going to be that person to everybody around me because that's how we're supposed to be. That's what she would want. That's what I'm going to be. And that's what you need to be. 
I'm encouraging you today, people. Put grief in check. Be the light. Be that joy. When grief knocks on your door <laughs> or puts thoughts in your head or starts turning the keys of your emotions, put it in check. Remind him of the word of God. Treat grief like a person. Talk to him. <laughs> I'm telling you, you got to say, no, 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 that's not true. I mean, yeah, it hurts. But the reality is weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning and my morning time is coming. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Usher. And I want to remind you as I close to do as much good as you can while you can. And if you think about what I just said, hmm, it really makes sense, doesn't it? Y'all be blessed. Bug y'all later.